You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today on The Report, our producer Grant Stern interviews Mother Jones DC Bureau Chief David Korn and Yahoo News Chief Investigative Correspondent Michael Isikoff at the Miami Book Fair to ask them about the book they wrote together, Russian Roulette. It's really worth a listen. I hope you enjoy it, because I definitely did. Both men reported on the ground floor of the Trump-Russia scandal. Korn and Isikoff each wrote stories with major revelations about Russia's election collusion with the Trump campaign during the 2016 election. Both men spend time on MSNBC these days debunking Trump administration propaganda, but their book really lays out the factual case about Trump's close ties to Russia and why that relationship intensified while he ran for the Republican presidential nomination in 2016. They talk about their book, the beginnings of the investigation into the Trump campaign, which led to Mueller's appointment, and what led them to publish the book Russian Roulette this spring. It's great having David Korn and Mike Isikoff on the show. I think you can tell that Grant had a great time interviewing them. So please listen to this interview from the Miami Book Fair. And we're back with David Korn and Michael Iskoff. They're the authors of Russian Roulette, a book that's been out since early this spring, and they're here at the Miami Book Fair International. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Great to be with you. Yeah. So let me start with you, David. What inspired you to start writing about Russia and Trump during the 2016 election? What was the first thing that led you down that path? You know, it was really interesting because there's a campaign going on and people are focused on a lot of the obvious things. There were various Trump controversies, various Hillary Clinton controversies, but there was this um, backdrop throughout the campaign. You know, it began with the release of the emails at the Democratic National uh, Convention in, in July that were traced back to Russians hacking Right. Into the DNC. And, you know, that kind of came and went. The emails created a controversy that almost derailed the convention. And then they kind of got through that and faded. And there was, you know, people kept wondering, well, what, what else is happening? What else are the Russians doing? But most importantly, there were a couple members of Congress who get classified briefings. And they would say things like... The Gang of Eight, right? You know, Gang of Eight, but like Harry Reid and some members of Congress in, in August and September of 2016. And they were saying things like, you know, we want to know if the FBI is investigating Trump-Russia connections. And when someone gets a classified briefing, says something like that, it really kind of means we've been told that this there's something here and we can't say it publicly. It's because like it's political public. jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, so they kind of sent signals. And so through much of the fall, myself and, and I know Mike was doing this and other reporters, we kept looking for Trump-Russia stuff. And it was kind of floating in the ether. There were people in the national security world who, would, who were saying people are really worried about these connections. But no one was really leaking anything about this. Everyone thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And no one had to go too far down the road in making this a story. But I think both of us in September and October, we're going, looking everywhere we could to try to put meat on this. And Mike had one of the first pieces, you can tell you about this in September. Right, with Car- about Carter, Car- Page. Carter Page. Yeah, I, I should say, like, you know, separate apart from what David was saying, there were all these strange characters who were, you know, gravitating to Trump's orbit. I mean, he makes Paul Manafort his campaign manager. That was in the spring. I called and, him an oligarch 
concierge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ola, you know, Manafort had been on the payroll of the of the pro-Russian political party in Ukraine for years. In fact, yeah. in our book, Russian Roulette, we talk about how Victoria Newland, who was a top State Department official in charge of Russia policy, when she sees Paul Manafort being named uh, the campaign manager, she says, Manafort, he's been a Russian stooge for the last 10 years. Right. Um, then you had Michael Flynn, a guy who I interviewed at the Republican convention who had been to um, Moscow uh, to celebrate the 10th anniversary of RT, the Russian propaganda station, and ended up sitting next to Vladimir Putin. At the time, did you know that he was the first DIA director to visit Moscow? I don't know if I knew he was the first, but I knew that his trip had raised a lot of questions, not just because of visiting uh, uh, Russia, but going there to celebrate, to help celebrate a Russian propaganda station and to get paid for it. And then, of course, you had Carter Page, who gets named to the Foreign Policy Advisory Board. And, you know, very quickly, there are questions about him. He flies to Moscow shortly thereafter and gives a speech denouncing U.S. policy and supporting the Russian policy. So there was a lot of like, what's going on here? Why are all these pro-Russian figures, you know, circling around the Trump campaign? While the Russian hack is underway, right? right? And and there's not, and, and you know, oddly, Trump keeps denying that there's anything going on here, right? So, you know, he's out there saying the Russians are not involved. Right. And he's so, saying, I have no Russia and, ties. They're all denied. And, and he's saying wonderful Which, things about Putin. Like, he goes on Morning Joe in December of 2015, and Joe says, well, you know, Putin's a killer. You know, you've said good things on it. He goes, ah, how do you know he's a killer? How do you know? We have killers here, too. And, you know, what we did know at the time, and I still think is an underplayed uh, story and not fully understood, is that through the first five months of Trump's presidential campaign, okay. he was trying to strike a deal to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. I mean, think about yet it. Yet again, by the way, we should mention yeah, yet again, It's been, not like the first one no. or the second. It's like right. maybe the fourth or but fifth But here's time. the guy running for president, and he has his consigliere, Michael Cohn, signing a deal. They literally sign a deal sure. to proceed with a tower in Moscow. And so he's praising Putin while this is going on because, how? listen, how could you have a big deal in Moscow while you're trashing Putin? I mean, this is one of the biggest, I think, presidential conflicts of interest perhaps in the history of modern American politics. But anyway, so all this is going on, and Mike is right. You know, people are saying, you know, Carter Page, who the heck is he? And then um, in the in this in this in September, in the fall, Mike does the first real story on, on Carter Page and whether the FBI is looking at this. And I keep looking and talking to... The I story thought, that caused Carter Page to resign from the campaign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He left a couple days after the story uh, uh, appeared. And, you know, the point, that what, what I reported then is that the U.S. intelligence community was investigating a guy who was part of the Trump campaign and his ties to Moscow. That was the first hint that there was an actual U.S. government investigation into this. And and meanwhile, I'm talking to people in national security circles, and they're all saying everybody inside is really worried about Trump. And now we know that there were intelligence intercepts, and they had had started an investigation on Trump-Russia connections and George Papadopoulos in July. But, you know, none of this has come out. And then I end up getting access to this steel 
memos. And to me, it was it was or dossier. Yeah, I, it's, <laughs> you call them memos. It's not really a dossier, but nevertheless, sure. uh, to me, the most important thing in, in them is not necessarily the unconfirmed, salacious details, but the fact that the FBI. I'm told, is investigating or has received these. Sure. So there's like, so we have Mike sort of figuring out. Uh, uh, he's he, got a breadcrumb Breadcrumb, and then I sort of say, got a okay. pile he, of breadcrumbs. I go like, whoa, and the FBI is actually looking into this? Well, so that's probably the extent of what came out yeah. before the election. His story was in September. Mine was October 31st. And that was kind of as much as the public got to know about the Trump-Russia investigation before they got to vote. Well, Dean Backhead is not going to listen. So what is your opinion of the New York Times' story that yeah. said FBI sees no clear link between yeah. Trump and Russia? Well, we write about that. Then, yeah, we yeah. write about that in the book. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the problem was that they, you know, they came out literally the same night as the story I did on the Steele uh, memos. Right. And it created this tremendous headwind for anybody who was... Well, like a cognitive funny. distance. Look, look te- technically right. you could um, uh, defend the time story because, you know, no charges had been brought. There, You know, there sure. had been no conclusions. But it's fair to say that's a, a classic example of a story that um, certainly from today's perspective was highly misleading because there was a lot going on, you know, behind the scenes. Well, it's like saying... The Times it, didn't know. It's like saying, Grant, if you're, per- if you're, if you're charged with murder murder and there's a trial to report you have not been found guilty before there's a verdict. Right. Well, there, there hadn't <laughs> been any charges. But there was a, ver- as we know, yeah. there was a vigorous investigation underway. It had only been underway for a short period of time and it had not found any conclusive links yet. So, but it was really, the, the story was inverted. Right. The story really should have been FBI investigating vigorously Trump. investigating Trump, and it's in the middle of the of the. We're not inquiry. concluded yet. Right. Yes. No conclusion yet. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by resistors like you. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. So, were you surprised to find out that Carter Page was involved in another spying case in New York City? Yeah, I, I was not aware of that until it came out. I think. Uh, well, I mean, they protected la- his identity last so year, um, but, but but you know that was it was it was clear he was the kind of guy who was a target for Russian intelligence because he was doing business in Russia. He was sympathetic, publicly sympathetic to the Russian position, um, and you know once he got into the uh, orbit of the Trump campaign and had the access to people at the top level of the Trump campaign, then, you know, he is absolutely the kind of guy the Russians were trying to cultivate. And, you know, we talk a lot in the book about all the elements of the Russian attack in 2016, the cyber attacks, the disinformation, you know, the uh, exploitation of social media. But, you know, simultaneous with that was the cultivation of people in the Trump and conservative Republican circles we saw that with Maria Butina, uh, you know, who was sure. had been charged and now is still in jail as an unregistered Russian agent working for a guy named Alexander Torshin, a Russian central banker who has links to organized crime, who's been sanctioned by the uh, by the Treasury Department. Um, and, you know, 
Carter Page is is in that uh, is part of that. Well, and somebody who the definitely. Russians were trying to cultivate. And don't forget George Papadopoulos. Well, it's a common theme, right? I mean, you're looking at guys. These guys are nobody, and yeah, then yeah, Trump yeah, names them, and all yeah, of a sudden, these exactly. are fringe players who want to be big deals, right? And then they get named by Trump because Trump can't find any real foreign policy experts in the Republican circles who want to be attached to him. And then all of a sudden, the Russians say, these are the perfect types to uh, cultivate, as Mike said. I mean, you're not going to get Michael Flynn as, you know... uh, as an outright asset or get a lot out of him. They used him for propaganda purposes. But a guy like George Papadopoulos, they start putting, hey, we got guys in the foreign ministry who want to talk to you. We got guys in the Kremlin who want to talk to you in Putin's own office. And as the Mueller indictment puts it, and this is what I think one of the, you know, was sort of a key link between the Trump campaign and the Russians. At least through August, he was trying to set up a back-channel communication with Putin's own office. Now, that's what he thinks he's doing. You know, the Russians talking to him probably think that they're getting something else out of this deal. Well, let's talk about that also. Isn't there the strong possibility that the Russians are leading these people down a path and they don't know what they're really doing? The Russians do. They're like, well, hey, let's have a meeting to discuss this dirt. That doesn't mean that the Russians are like, we're going to bring our stuff to the meeting, but they're trying to simply get you know, what they're looking for, which is get them to agree. I mean, there's a couple of, 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 of old phrases from Cold War days, agent of influence, mm-hmm. useful idiot, yeah. um, you know, where you may not be a winning, knowing, paid spy for the Russians, but you are wittingly or not, most likely unwittingly, doing their bidding, serving their purposes, helping them to get in, get their hooks into the U.S. political system and glean intelligence. And I think the, that's very much what was going on and there in 2016. Were, and there's something else going on in terms of these contacts. You know, people might recall the Trump Tower meeting, which is in June of 2016, when um, Don, Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of and Donald Trump, Manafort. and Paul Manafort, the campaign manager, meet with a Russian emissary who they're told is bringing them dirt on Hillary. They claim that the dirt that she had was convoluted information about Democratic funders that really didn't amount to much. But the most important, I think, aspect of the meeting was that initially in the email setting it up uh, that was sent to all of them, they're told she's coming as part of a secret Russian plan to help the Trump campaign, a secret Kremlin plan. And so here... And they said, hey, that's they, great. Let's, 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 I love it. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. What great. you say, I love it. So, yeah. so what they're doing here is they're signaling to the Kremlin that if you do things underhandedly to help us, we know it, and that's fine with us. And it was five days after that meeting, uh, coincidentally, that the DNC hack... Uh, became public, and the issue of Russian intervention became, uh, you know, somewhat of a controversy in the campaign. And throughout, from that moment on, Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, Donald Trump Sr. denied the Russians were doing anything when they had been told explicitly explicitly that there was a Russian effort to help them. So people say there's no collusion, no collusion. There is at least signaling to go ahead, and there's collusion in what you might call 
the denial. The Russians and Putin keep denying this, and the, his denials are echoed and amplified by Trump and his minions. So there's a collusion in the cover-up, in, in, in a way. And that, I think, is, a, is one aspect of the story that has gotten lost. When Trump says, no collusion, no collusion, well, you did echo and help the, the, the Kremlin when they said, we're not doing it. Well, there's one, one thing you mentioned, agents of influence, yeah. which... Uh, we basically don't hear a lot about. We hear a lot about espionage, a spy trying to steal a right. secret. But this is really a story of propaganda, like foreign propaganda being smuggled in under the cover of not being foreign propaganda, right? Right. So, um, you know, I want to ask you about Dimitri Symes. He is the former, or I guess the president of the Center for the National Interest. He set up that foreign policy meeting where Trump and the Russian right. ambassador met. Right. Um, do you believe that he is one of these Russian agents of influence? And do you think that he has an unusual career? Because he's gone to the Valdai Club and spoken with Putin on stage even. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I do know that there have been questions about him for years among U.S. counterintelligence folks. And there were always sort of suspicions. I haven't seen any hard proof that, you know, puts him in, in that category. But I know that there were a lot of people within the U.S. government who had questions along those lines. You know, look, you got to be fair to everybody and uh, you don't want to you know make uh, pronouncements but i think that as a result of all of this i think it's fair to say um the u.s u.s counterintelligence community uh is much more on guard to the various ways the russians are seeking to influence our political process and that's probably the the biggest and most important takeaway from the events of 2016 and you have to be fair there may be people here the United States who believe, you know, that Putin is good for the world and the Trump presidency is good and that we need to have a different approach to Russia and who may echo Kremlin talking points, but because they believe in them. You know, so, we, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, you know, claims made that when someone says something, they're doing it because they're, you know, the puppet of a foreign power. So it gets very kind of difficult to, you know, Distinguish. To distinguish and to dissect, you know, when someone is doing it legitimately and and when it's because of a Russian act. I mean, we did see, you know, actual demonstrations in the 2016 anti-Hillary demonstrations that were somewhat uh, created and organized by fake Facebook pages run by Russians, you know, and there, of course, were real anti-Hillary Clinton demonstrations, too. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, the Russians... You know, anybody else, the Chinese and others could do this. You know, they, they, they have territory in which to hide here and they can try to, you know, fuel flames. But often those flames already exist. That's probably what they're looking for, right? Yeah, they want to make them burn hotter. So, David, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and take this conversation onto the Internet after the program? Sure. I'm at David Corn. DC, that's David Corn, Corn uh, with a C, and then just add DC to it. And Michael? Um, at, at Isikoff on Twitter. At Isikoff, right? Yeah, yeah. just at Isikoff. Well, I-S-I-K-O-F-F. Yeah. The book is Russian Roulette. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thank, thank Thanks you. for having us. Thanks again to David Korn and Mike Isikoff for taking the time to do the interview on their new book, Russian Roulette. We'll post a link with the podcast so that you can buy the book. It is a must-read. I want to thank Grant Stern for doing this interview. We have a few others coming out shortly that he did at the Miami Book Fair as well. 
You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. Go do it right now. Unless you're driving. Then don't don't do it right now. Do it when you're done driving. You can visit our website at dworkingreport.com. Thanks again for listening. Onward!